Chapter Twenty One of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. As they began to feel the necessity of picking their way through the crowded streets, David was made aware, in the manner that none of us understand but have experienced, that a pair of eyes from out the throng were following him. He turned his head in the direction of a carriage that was then just blockaded, met the owner of that intense pair of eyes, and lifted his hat to Miriam Brownlee. The bow was returned by a bend of the head so slight that he was almost in doubt as to whether she had bowed at all, and then her carriage had moved on. In vain did David try to continue the train of thought thus interrupted. The vision of Miriam Brownlee was like a breath from another world, blown suddenly across his brain. She was at home then. He had not thought of such a thing. Indeed, as he reflected, he realized that he had not so much as remembered that he was in the city where she lived. His association with her had been almost exclusively connected with her aunt's home. Years ago he had called upon her at her father's house, but it was before he had realized any deep interest in her, and the call had made no distinct impression. The questions that pressed now were, how long had Miriam been in town, and what had occasioned her return? He had been under the impression that she had expected to spend the season with her aunt, but as he recalled the past, he became aware that this was only an impression, and that he had no distinct knowledge concerning her. If she had been long at home, she must have thought it very strange that he had not called upon her. Indeed, as he considered it, he admitted that it was surprising that he had not interested himself to call upon her mother. As matters now stood between himself and Miriam, this would have been obviously proper, but the simple truth was that he had been so absorbed in a subject of infinitely more importance that he had forgotten calls altogether. Did this account for Miriam's haughty stare? No other word would describe the look on her face. An angry stare, and she had made no attempt to hold the carriage long enough for him to get to her. "'I am afraid I have been rude,' was his mental decision. "'She is perhaps justified in feeling hurt.' Evening found him at the Brownlee homestead. Miss Miriam was at home, and was entertaining callers. Among them Mr. Compton, whom David did not remember pleasantly. There was nothing for him but to take a seat among the guests, and try to be one of them. Within his heart was a sense of incongruity. He found it well-nigh impossible to join in the gay conversation which his entrance had interrupted for the moment, but which flowed on easily again. The topic under discussion was an entertainment recently given. It appeared that all present, save himself, had been at the entertainment, and they were comparing notes. Criticism was unsparing. Some of the performers were unmercifully ridiculed. It did not seem to David that the audience, if this were a specimen, could really have been entertained. It all represented another world than his. And those people, he reflected, at least four of them, are connected with the church, and this has been its great anniversary week. They seem not to have known of it. He had chosen a seat as near to Miriam as he could, and at the very first opportunity addressed her. I was very much surprised to see you this afternoon. I had not an idea that you were in town. Indeed! 
were you not aware that i lived in this city the question was asked laughingly but the tone had a sting in it for david's ear he tried to explain somewhat confusedly that he had had the impression that she was still with her aunt oh i come home quite frequently she said gaily but i do not think my departure for this city was any more sudden than your own clearly they were not making any advance under cover of this surface talk watching his opportunity he asked in an undertone if it would not be possible to see her alone for a few minutes and was answered coldly that it was quite out of the question the callers were her guests of course and must be entertained then immediately she returned to the conventional tone are you having a pleasant visit in town mr holman i noticed this afternoon that you were so much engaged that i hardly dared intrude even with a bow the low silvery laugh that accompanied these words he had been wont to call sweet he wondered how he could i have had a wonderful week he said with gravity a week to be remembered for ever certain experiences connected with it i am eager to tell you i must return home to-morrow a note from my father received this evening hastens me i had hoped to see you at your aunt's as soon as i returned do you not go back there soon thus much he accomplished for her ear alone but her answer grated i am not planning to as i suggested i live at home it must be hard for both you and your friends to have your visit cut short is miss rothwell as much of a rosebud as i intimated if so your tastes must have changed for you certainly appeared to be enjoying the variety when i saw you this afternoon he looked at her bewildered the wonder flashed through his mind whether she could possibly be jealous of mary rothwell he discarded it at once as a thought unworthy of himself and of her but there came before him then and there without any volition on his part a vision of the fair young woman with whom he had spent the afternoon and of their talk together and the sharp contrast between the two gave him a strange sense of pain meantime he was replying with dignity to Miriam, miss rothwell has been very kind to me and i have reason for gratitude for courtesies received i have however seen very little of her and to be quite frank have been so absorbed with other thoughts as to leave little room for any person save one miriam reflected as to the identity of the one exception and misled herself even david holman unconventional as he was could hardly speak to her in that tone and mean other than a personal compliment a pretty flush softened for a moment the haughty lines of her face and her tones were gentler i hope the absorption proved agreeable mamma has been surprised at not receiving a call from you earlier but i reminded her that anniversary week was crowded with meetings and very proper church people did not consider social calls in order though no one could have imagined that you would be so conventional with us it was not conventionality he told her earnestly it was absorption then dropping his voice still lower he pleaded for opportunity for just a few words with her in private he had revelations to make there had come to him not so much a change of purpose as of vision he had been blind and had received sight would it not be possible to excuse herself to her guests for a few minutes and go out with him could they not do some errand or accomplish some end that would make it appear reasonable 
Miriam was sure that nothing of the kind was feasible. Mama would be shocked at such a breach of etiquette. At least one of the guests was a stranger to her mother and sister. Besides, she added, to be entirely frank, I do not think it would be well for us to have a visit together to-night. You are in one of your exalted moods. People who have been in contact with Mary Rothwell always are. I should be certain to shock you. I prefer to wait until your return to the level of everyday life. After that, David made his call short. He felt dazed and troubled, and was in haste to get away. Miriam accompanied him to the hall, but it was nearly as public as the parlor. He murmured something to her about writing as soon as he reached home, without knowing what reply she made to it, and at last was outside in the quiet night. He took off his hat and passed his hand wearily over his forehead as he walked. His brain seemed to need cooling. The stars looked far away and very bright. Would it not be good to get away from all the bewilderments of earth, up there? What had occurred to make life stretch itself before him such a complex thing? Very little had passed between himself and Miriam, certainly, but that little had power to sting. He had looked forward to telling her the experience of the night before, as he could tell it to no other, but she had not cared to hear it. Now he was not sure that he could ever tell her. He sat up late trying to plan his life. It was linked with another life whose happiness must ever be the first consideration. But there was more than that. It was linked for time and for eternity with a divine life which it would be his duty and his privilege to serve. Would Miriam Brownlee ever be in accord with the convictions which he knew must now govern him? And if she were not? Why, then he must walk that road alone. Only one thought stood out boldly. The pledge he had taken in that other room that night was to be held sacred and supreme. Not mother, nor father, nor Miriam Brownlee herself was ever to come between his soul and that. Full of other interests as the week had been, there had yet been time for business matters, and David Holman had reason to believe that his father would be gratified with the result. He was more than satisfied, and spoke more frankly than was his habit. He had not imagined that such an arrangement could be brought about. David had shown himself a businessman of marked ability. Why should he not give up his ideas of a profession and go into business with his father? These new openings which he had himself arranged would afford a splendid opportunity. Could they not decide to join their interests and work together? David saw the light of eager hope in his mother's face. She would like such an arrangement because it would anchor her son at home. He was sorry that the proposition had been made just then. It forced him to speak before he had quite determined what to say. Curiously enough, it was Margaret who helped him to a little more time by opposing the idea almost petulantly. For her part, she did not want David, with his education that fitted him for taking his place in the world, to settle down to be a mere fruit-raiser. The father showed promptly that he was hurt by her words. He replied coldly that mere fruit-raising had furnished a very good support for the family for years, and without it David would hardly have received the education in which she took so much pride. But that, of course, David was not to be compelled to enter into partnership with his father. 
it was a mere proposition, which he was to treat as he thought best. Evidently the time had come for David to speak. He made it very plain that he had no such feeling for the business as Margaret had expressed. He said frankly that to work in the open air among the vines was a delight to him. He sometimes felt closer to God's handiwork there than anywhere else. Nevertheless, he was not ready for any partnership, nor for positive decisions of any sort as regarded his life work. If his father was willing to have him continue for the present, working under his direction, and attending to any outside business that he chose to place in his hands, it would be the arrangement that he would like the best. He might be glad, in the near future, to discuss the question of partnership, but he was at present too unsettled as to his plans to be able to discuss them intelligently. This reply by no means satisfied his father. Mr. Holman had not hesitated to say, in his family, that David was losing a great deal of time, and he did not understand why. Having lost so many years, it was important for him to settle quickly what he intended to do, and to set about it at once. This idea he now put into plain language for David's ear, and asked what was holding him from a decision. Thus pressed, there was nothing for David but frankness. He took one or two thoughtful walks down the room while his father waited, regarding him curiously, and Frances, with head bent over work, knew that her tell-tale face must be crimson. "'What I have to say, sir,' began David at last, "'will, I fear, cause you pain. It is that which makes me hesitate. Yet perhaps the time has come when I should speak. My uncertainty with regard to my future grows out of the fact that I recognize a new master. I have come again into personal contact with the man about whom you have already heard so much, and have reached certain astounding conclusions concerning him. I had meant to talk this whole matter over with you quietly, father, and not to startle you by the suddenness of my revelations, but perhaps it is as well so. No amount of talk can prepare one for such words. The simple truth is, sir, that I believe we have, in the person of that man, the promised Saviour for whom we have been looking these many years. At this the mother gave a little frightened cry, Oh, my son, don't! Frances dropped her work and sat with eyes fixed on her brother, with a face from which apparently every drop of blood had receded. Margaret sewed steadily on with the slightest possible shadow of a smile, or else a sneer playing about her mouth. As for Mr. Holman, he had been all his life a man of few words, and generally he had his emotions well under control. At that moment his squarely cut chin seemed squarer than usual. His lips were set in a firm, thin line, and his restless eyes seemed to burn. Yet his voice was low, and wonderfully controlled, when at last he spoke. "'You do well to speak plainly, David, though you use such awful words. I like to understand what I am to expect. If I am to be struck to the heart by my own son, it is well to know it. I have brought up a boy, it seems, who cares no more for the parents and sisters who have sacrificed and suffered for his sake, than to yield himself to the control of the first impostor who tramps over the country followed by a rabble. It is humiliating to the last degree, but I can bear it. I have had hard blows before. I ought to be used to suffering, especially where you are concerned. 
but I can speak plainly too. We will understand one another. So long as you, sir, hold yourself away from any outward association with this accursed imposition, and keep your wild fancies entirely to yourself, I am willing to try to think that they are vagaries of a diseased brain that will pass away. But just so surely as you join the ignorant crowd in following that impostor about, or talk to others the insane idea you have just now advanced, or have anything whatever to do with him or his friends in any way, from that hour you are no son of mine, and no house of mine shall shelter you, and no children of mine shall have anything to do with you, so help me God. I advise you to be very careful in making your final decisions. When I make mine, you know very well that I mean them. Mrs. Holman's voice interrupted again. Oh, father, don't say that. Don't, don't. I have said it. The father's voice had never been firmer. You all know me. What I say, I mean. If David wants to belong to us, and to have us do for him in the future what we have done during his long years of helplessness, the very best we can, so be it, he is welcome. He is to make his own choice. But an apostate and a blasphemer I cannot and will not harbor in my house. Our name has never yet been tarnished by disloyalty to country or to God. If it must be now, I will do what I can to show the world and the church that it is through no sin of mine. End of chapter 21